For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Steve Andrews entitled, What is Man? This is God's Calling, Part 1. Mr. Andrews. The psalmist David lived in a time in which he could walk out of his tent or whatever he lived in, and he could look up at the stars and see the heavens and how beautiful they were and how vast and glorious they were. And he would write beautiful psalms songs that would be sung about that creation that he could see. You know, today we're, as far as being here on the earth, we can walk out of our house and we can see a portion. But if you could go to an area where there were no lights, which is getting less and less of that capability today, you'd be able to see what David could see, the vastness of the universe. He wrote in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who has set your glory above the heavens. As he looked up there, he could see the glory of God. And, and it was to him a fascinating and wonderful thing to be able to praise God for his creation. He says, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings have you ordained strength because of your enemies that you might still the enemy and the avenger. And he says, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. And I'm going to stop there because we do have a capability to see more than what we see here on the earth. Even if there is a city which clouds our view, we have taken it a little step further, haven't we? With the Hubble telescope, with the ability that we have, with all of the satellites and everything that we have out there, we've taken it a little further. And we can see the glory of the heavens. In the privileged planet, which I love, it's a really fascinating and wonderful CD produced by Illustria Media, or Lustra, I guess that's how you pronounce it. Now on the back of the cover, and I'm not going to run all of this today, but there's a fascinating first part that I'd like to play here in just a second. But I want to read the back jacket. He says, Many scientists and philosophers have claimed that the Earth is an ordinary speck of dust adrift, without purpose or significance in a vast cosmic sea. Yet current astronomical evidence seems to suggest just the opposite. We now know that a rare and finely tuned array of factors makes Earth suitable for complex life. We depend on our planet's oxygen-rich atmosphere, its large moon, its planetary neighbors, and its precise location within the solar system and Milky Way galaxy. But there is more. The same factors 
that make a planet like Earth hospitable to life also provide the best conditions for scientific discovery. It is available to each and every one of us. I'd like for you to watch the first introduction, essentially, is what this is, to this CD, and think about our place in the universe. It's very short. Late in the summer of 1977, an historic mission of exploration was launched. Twin spacecraft, christened Voyager 1 and 2, broke free from the Earth's gravity on journeys to the outer reaches of the solar system. Her primary destinations were the four giant outer planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune. For 13 years, the Voyagers probed these mysterious worlds at close range while collecting data and transmitting stunning images back to Earth. Among thousands of pictures of planets and moons, perhaps the most memorable was recorded on February the 14th, 1990, when Voyager 1 approached the edge of the solar system, then turned back toward the sun. With its wide and narrow-angle cameras, the spacecraft captured unprecedented views of our home star and six of its orbiting planets. One of them appeared as a small pale dot engulfed by a ray of sunlight. It was the Earth from nearly four billion miles away. While the world gazed intently at this pinpoint of light, Timeless questions about its meaning, purpose, and significance suddenly took on new relevance. And once again, as in ages past, we paused to consider our planet's role within the grand scheme of the universe. lights again. <laughs> the psalmist then went on to say, what is man that you are mindful of him? I don't really believe there's aliens out there, at least, I, you know, except for the angels and God and, you know, <laughs> which uh, we would consider that. But I do believe that God has created a wonderful thing in this planet that we live on and what we have. 
as his creation. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Yea, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. In Hebrews, the author takes it just a little bit further and shows a greater glory that we have the tremendous glory that we have. And um, oh, I guess I'm having trouble finding my way around today. It's in here, I know it is. <laughs> oh. All right, now we're there. Hebrews, the first chapter. He says in verse 5, for under the angels has not he put in subjection, subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, that was David that we just read about, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of your hands. Yea, uh, you have... You have put all things in subjection under your feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not all things put under him. It's interesting that the author here took David's psalm and took it into the future. Because we have the potential for rulership, for ruling all things that God has created, he has put and created for mankind. What a tremendous thing that we read in God's Word here. In Romans, the 8th chapter, we find that God, a very long time ago, decided to work with man, to build man, and for man to do great things. Verse 28 of Romans the 8th chapter, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. God has a purpose for man and for all of mankind, and those that will listen and who want to be a part of the purpose that God has. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God has a plan for all of mankind. And he's working it out. And right now, in this room, he is working out his plan among those who are sitting here. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. 
whom he justified, them he also glorified. And Jesus makes it very plain in John, the, the sixth chapter, verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I'll raise him up in the last day. I have a little uh, PowerPoint single slide presentation that I have put together. And this has been kind of troubling me for, for a while. And so I've been mulling it over, as anyone that uh, does this knows. We sometimes chew on things for a very long time before we, we bring it out. And this is only the beginning because, as I say, this is part one. But I feel deeply within inside of me that our calling is one of the greatest things that we have. Our, sometimes it's very hard to understand. As the psalmist said, why pick us? I mean, we're flesh and blood. We walk on this earth, and we have a lot of problems. We have a lot of, you know, things that are, uh, that God would probably be very, dis, is very displeased with. Even in his own Christian people, the ones who he calls his own sons because we sin. We come short of the glory of God. And yet, he's given us this tremendous calling. The call. You know, when we're called, we have to make a decision. Are we going to listen to that call? Are we going to accept that calling that God has out for us? And sometimes it comes as a very subtle thing. And sometimes it's, it's very dynamic in our lives. And we feel compressed and we, we feel compelled that we have to, to go to it. And others go for years. And that call, they mull over and they think about it. And then they finally come. But there has to be an answer at, at some time in their life. Because God has reached out and called us. The one that created the whole universe has made this call to us. And it's very interesting that down, if you go through, and we're going to look at one example today, because that's this first part. There is always a promise from God. You go and you look in each one of those men that God called. There was a promise. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, there were promises that went with it. And they had to believe God. They had to believe the promise. There is a call, and then there's a promise of certain things that God is going to do for us. And of course, we understand in the promise that we have is eternal life. Well, that's part of the calling. Our Savior Jesus Christ came to this earth because we're sinners, because we sin and come short of the glory of God. For the remission of sins, He sacrificed His own life so that we might have the hope that we have for the kingdom of God. The gift of the Holy Spirit. What a precious thing. And yet sometimes I think that we don't count it as that valuable, as that important in our life. The Holy Spirit guides us, leads us, comforts us, strengthens us in times 
trials and tribulations, and they're going to come. That's where I put the test. The end, there's going to be, even if it's just the everyday life that we have, day in and day out, the things that come in our life, they can be a trial. They can be a test. They can be things that will happen. Even if it happens to a relative, it affects us individually. So there's always things that are going to, to affect us, and there's going to be tests and trials that are going to come in our life. And it's, the Bible says we are to endure to the end. We're to endure those tests and those trials to the end because the calling is so great and so wonderful that no matter what those trials are, no matter what those tests are, they are insignificant to the calling of God and what he has set out for us which is the resurrection and eternal life in his kingdom. First to rule the earth as kings and priests on this earth. What a privilege it would be <laughs> to be able to, to come up before God and talk to God, talk to Jesus, talk to all those men that have gone before us and the women who have gone before us, to be a part of that wonderful called out group who are going to have eternal life with God in his kingdom. The last thing I was thinking, and I wanted to put this one in, we are the children of God. He calls us sons and daughters today, even though we're, <laughs> we're nowhere near like him. We're not spirit beings. We're flesh and blood. We walk on this earth with many different difficulties. But we are called the sons of God. And in the kingdom, we will be the children of God. And we'll be at home with God. A father, an elder brother, and many sons and daughters in the kingdom. We'll have a home together. Just like God is showing us the home, you know, the marriage, the, uh, the husband and wife and the children a home that we have. It'll be that way in the kingdom of God. We'll be his children in that kingdom. The calling that I, the, the example that I wanted to use was a man that we're very familiar with, and, and in fact, we'll probably be reading this coming up in, in, in March and April, and that's Moses and his calling. It's very interesting, as we look at this calling, we think of Moses as uh, in the Ten Commandments, don't we? With the rod stick, sticking up there and saying, you know, the, watch the power of God and the, and, the, and the water parts and all of that. But it didn't start out like that, did it? <laughs> it didn't start out like that. Moses was a man just like you, you know, he was a physical human being, just like all of us. And he had his doubts, and he had his fears, and his calling was profound because he was called to bring the people out of bondage, out of Egypt. And, of course, we understand he's a type of Christ. Christ is bringing us out of bondage, out of the sin, Moses was called for a very 
special purpose. In Exodus, the second chapter, Exodus 2, verses 23 and 24. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God respected unto them. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock in the, <clears throat> in the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. It's interesting. Uh, Moses was probably very happy. He was married. He had a, a, a wife and a child, and he was very happy being a keeper of the, of the flock, a shepherd. Well, God had something else for this man. He had a calling for this man, a purpose for this man. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of the fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God called. God called. unto him out of the midst of the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw nigh hither. Put off your shoes from your feet, for this place whereon you stand is holy ground. This place is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. That's a, that calling, sometimes when we become aware that God has called us, that the God of the creation, of all creation, the one who has made everything, has called us, can have a profound effect on our life. We want to change. We want to do what's right. We want to follow what God wants us to do. But even like Moses, we're sometimes reluctant. And we'll see his reluctance. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land, large, and the land flowing with milk and honey, unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress him. Come now, therefore, I will send you unto Pharaoh. Whoops. <laughs> Moses turns about, sees the burning bush. God calls him. He bows down, and all of a sudden now he's the one that's going to Go to Pharaoh? He fled from Egypt because he had killed someone. And he was going to go back? You can think of the things that are going on in Moses' mind. 
that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Well, Moses says unto God, who am I? You know, maybe a little lowly. Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Sometimes we think our calling is small, brethren, because we don't have, you know, we're not bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. But remember, it's God's calling and His purpose in our life, no matter what that purpose is. No matter what that purpose is. It might seem small to us, but it could be affecting many lives. And we do have the potential in the kingdom of changing millions of lives. Today may be small, but that someday great things are work, being worked out in each individual that God is calling for His purpose, for His direction. And He says, certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a token unto you that I have sent you. When you brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God under this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What's his name? What shall I say unto them? So he was, you know, he was curious, but still a little skeptical about how he was going to present this information to the children of Israel and all of the things that were going to happen. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And, you, and I think there was probably an emphasis. We don't get that on the paper. But it does capitalize it. And maybe he boomed a little. because It does say that God got angry a little later. Because of Moses' hesitation. Now we know that Moses was one of the ones that was in the transfiguration. And that was, that was a choice that God made. Because there was many that could have been there. Abraham could have been there. Any, any of those. But Moses and Elijah were chosen to be those two when Jesus showed those chosen disciples who, was, who he was talking to. Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking together. Moses started out on a humble situation, and especially humbling before God. He says, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, <clears throat> You shall say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders. God wants it done. Go, hurry, get it done. Go and gather the elders. Say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the Isaac, and Jacob, appeared unto me, and saying, I have surely visited you, and seen that which is done in Egypt. And I said, I will bring you out of the afflictions of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they shall hearken 
and they shall hearken to your voice, and you shall come, and you and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent. The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now let us go. We beseech you three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. <laughs> Very interesting situation that uh, Moses finds himself in. He says, go, tell this to the elders, now go to the Pharaoh, but he's not going to let you go. If you're a thinking man, you, get, you begin to realize that maybe there's going to be some trials and tribulations along the way in trying to, to do this, to get this all accomplished. But we're talking, you know, God's talking to him. Power of God talking to him. He says, I'll stretch out my hand, smite Egypt with my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let... After that, he will let you go. I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when they go, you shall not go out empty, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her, of her that sojourns in her house, jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment. We find that happening, that they took of the Egyptians, and they were, they were rich from the Egyptians. And Moses answered and said, Behold, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord has not appeared unto you. <laughs> I'm going to go, and you're not going to be there in this burning bush. You're not going to be there, and I'm going to tell them this, and they're not going to believe me. So God gives him some things that he can do. A rod that turns into a snake. This rod that he was holding it turns into a snake. And he put his hand in his breast area there, into his jacket or whatever he was wearing, and bring it out, and he's, now he's got leprosy. So he can take two things that he can show them that God had talked to him. Down in verse 10, And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. By the way, this is the fourth time that Moses has kind of backed away from this calling that God has given him. It's a calling that's important. It is a time to bring those people out. And in fact, it is the exact time to bring these people out. And Moses is kind of balking at it, and God wants it to get done. So, here he says, I'm, I'm not eloquent, neither hitherto nor since you have spoken unto my servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said unto him, <laughs> Lord said unto him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes the dumb or deaf? Or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? You can kind of see this interaction and... and <laughs> And Moses is probably still down on his, in his knees with his hands in front of him talking to God. Now therefore go. Come on. Let's, let's get this done. Go. I'll be with you. I'll be with your mouth and teach you what to say. Well, Moses is 
still a little reluctant. I don't know whether he's seeing all that's going to happen, but he's a little reluctant. He said, Oh, my Lord, send, I pray you, by the hand of him whom you will send. In other words, send somebody else, please. I'm not ready. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, All right, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he could speak. I know he's got a capability of speaking. And also, behold, he comes forth to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall speak unto him and, and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. God wasn't going to give up on Moses. Nor was he letting, going to let him back out. Nor was he going to let him give up. This is something that he had called Moses to do. How serious do you think our calling is? You know, sometimes we're moved to do things. We have a feeling inside of us that we should be doing something more. More prayer, more Bible study, things that we should be doing. Whatever it is, are we listening to what God is trying to help us to understand? Or are we kind of balking like Moses when he first came in contact with God. Verse 16, And he shall be your spokesman unto the people, and he shall be even, he shall be to you instead of a mouth, and you shall be to him instead of God. And you shall take this rod in your hand wherewith you shall do signs. So God was anxious to get Moses moving to do what needed to be done, and so he he returns to Egypt, and you know the rest of the story. I ask the question, what can we do? Let's turn to Second Peter, especially with this calling that we have. Each and every one of us, I don't know whether I did when I was baptized, but I know that since Lawrence has done this, we've all been, doing, been reading these words in Second Peter the first chapter. We need to go back on a regular basis and think about those words. To think about what is, was said to us when we came up, up out of that watery grave. This calling that we have from God is so absolutely profoundly important. It is so important that we do not let the world and the things in the world separate us from that calling. Separate us from the truth of the word that God has given us. In verse 3 of Second Peter, the first chapter, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Those are some powerful words right there of a calling that has a tremendous power behind it. Divine power. Not human power, but divine power. All things pertaining unto life. Well, that's eternal life, brethren. 
He wants to take us into the kingdom of God. He wants to take us into eternal life. He wants us to be his children in his kingdom. Through the knowledge of the him that has called us unto the glory and unto glory and to virtue. So we're not called to the worldly things. We are called to glory and to virtue. Whereby are given unto his exceedingly great and precious promises. It's interesting. The calling comes with tremendous and wonderful promises. It's something that we can't turn our back on and that we have to be aware of what God is teaching us and training us and guiding us to so that we understand those promises that we have before us. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Not physical, the divine nature. The day is coming when we will be metamorphosized and be able to witness and look upon God the Father and Jesus Christ as they are in their glory. The, the divine nature, nature, having escaped the corruption of this world through lust. Isn't that what kind of rules the world? Is the lust for power, the lust for money, the lust for one another? And it corrupts. It corrupts us. It is the thing that corrupts our lives and can separate us from the calling of God. And besides this, giving all diligence. In other words, diligence is meaning that you've got to be wanting to do it. You've got to be pressured in your mind. It's got to be a part of your life. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And godliness means being like God, living like Jesus Christ lived on this earth. He was, in the, <clears throat> he was in the flesh, but walked on this earth as though he were, you know, God in heaven. As though God would be walking on this earth. He lived a physical life, but with godliness in everything he did. He had patience and temperance. He had knowledge of God. He had grace, virtue. All of these things, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity, which is love, one for another. He says, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. It's interesting that he uses those words, because remember the seeds that fall on the ground that is fertile bears fruit. The seeds that fall on the other types of ground where Satan and the world and different things can take them do not bear any fruit. They disappear. They go away. They're eaten or they're consumed by something else. But those that fall on that good ground, they bear fruit. And they're neither barren. neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he is purged from his old sins. Brethren, this is talking not 
to someone that hasn't had God's Holy Spirit dwelling in us. This is talking to you and I who have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. He that lacks these things is blind. If we turn our back on the calling of God, we become blind. We've seen that more than once. That those that walk away from this truth, from the things that we understand as truth, they become very blind to this, to this word. And cannot see afar off, forgotten that he has purged them from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling, individually, your calling, your special calling. God has called you individually, specially, your calling. And election sure. And I want to include myself in that. Because I feel I've been called also. So I don't want to leave myself out. But each and every one of us have been called to be diligent, to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting, everlasting, no end in sight, forever and ever and ever. Just like that last point on that slide, a home with God in the family of God forever. It says, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, forever. What a precious thing we have in God's calling.